I'm Patrick Inhofer. I'm Dan Moran. And I'm Robbie Carmen. And guys, this week we have a question from Mixing Light member Craig Winterbottom. And Craig's asked some questions before, and he's always asking some good ones. Uh, and he was asking, you know, he said, hey guys, look, I just rewatched some of the very first episodes of The Walking Dead, very popular television series. Um, and he says, you know, hey, look, I think they shot this on some Kodak Vision 3 film stock. Uh, and in fact, they did. We did a little research on this and they did. Uh, and so he said, hey, you know, just for fun, I wanted to try to emulate this look. So I downloaded some LUTs. He uh, talks about a specific um, sort of uh, vendor of some LUTs that he downloaded and used. And he said he's getting close, but not spot on. And if we know the series... Does he have any suggestions, maybe how to get a little closer or what kind of makes up that look? Um, and guys, I'll be honest with you. Um, I know the series and I'm probably one of like, you know, three people I know who doesn't watch this series. Um, so I'll lean on you guys to kind of describe the look a little bit better and then uh, maybe give uh, Craig some tips about emulating, uh, you know, sort of doing a film emulation and what goes into that when you're not actually shooting film. So Pat, I know that when it comes to sci-fi series, you're an expert. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the overall look of the show and what Craig can be doing a little bit better maybe to emulate the film look of the show when in fact his footage has not been shot on film well uh, i'm a huge fan of the walking dead i watch it you know religiously and i love all the um the what ifs of it you know what if and then it just lets the characters play out as the characters are and uh you know which which is worse you know the walking dead or the living people who who's worse is is really the the overall question of that series and uh, it it does have a, a distinct look and and different different uh seasons have slightly different looks depending on where they're being shot um but i think what i really want to focus on on this is he's at the very end he says so i guess what i'm asking is is it just that i need more practice or is it that you can only really get so far with film emulation LUTs? How close can you really get if you use a camera with enough dynamic range and color information? And specifically what he did, the, the LUT that he downloaded was the specific emulation LUT for the specific Kodak Vision 3 stock that they were using, that they've been using on that series. Yeah. And, and he still wasn't able to hit the look. And, and in my eye, and in my mind, really... It's not the LUT. The LUT no. is probably doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's taking a test chart and it's mapping, you know, its various color dyes into the RGB space and how they react and how they look, assuming with a certain camera. Um, the problem to me is it's it's not really the LUT and it's not necessarily even you. It's just it's different. Um, the DP is going to light it differently right off the bat. If you're sitting there with a red camera, you know what? You've got real-time feed out of what's hitting your sensor. If you're a, a DP, all you've got is experience and a light meter to tell you what's happening to that image. So you are going to light it differently. You are going to protect your image differently. You are going to be very specific about where your shadows sit, where your midtones sit, where your highlights are, because you know through experience how that film stock works. And you're going more with your gut and less with your eye. And I think that makes a huge difference in the film look. I really do. I, you know, I've, you've heard me say probably here, I've said it in you know, online training, you know, where does color correction start? It starts in pre-production. It starts with your art department. It starts with your DP and, your, and whoever's handling lighting design and all of that stuff 
people talking about color and color palettes and, and making a lot of these decisions up front, that's where it starts. And even if the Walking Dead look is largely a post-processing look, let's imagine for a second that they don't actually go for that look on set, that that's something that was developed in post-production. The raw starting point is going to have a different feel than it will when you're working with a digital camera with DPs who are used to looking at the output of the sensor in real time. That's really my take on the whole thing. Oh, Pat, you, I mean, you've said that so well. I mean, so well. And, <laughs> we should know, wrap it here. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. That, that's it. End of the episode. I mean, no, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And that's the one thing, not to sort of um, get on Craig for the question because it's a good question. But that's the one thing that drives me crazy about clients in the suite, about sort of the popularity of shows and kind of where we kind of, you know, everybody's trying to emulate uh, everybody, you know, uh, all the time. And I guess the way that I feel about it is, is, is twofold or maybe threefold. One, it's a film stock emulation. It's not the film stock. You know, it's a, it, it's sort of like, this is what, it, you know, we're trying to make it look like. And you alluded to that by saying, hey, you know, this is shooting test chart and it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Number two, there are so many things other than the color and the contrast in an image that tie you to a look, as you alluded to, Pat. Things like the set design, uh, the costume design, even the time of day that they shoot on and that kind of stuff. And I think really to your point, kind of the aesthetic of the DP and the production team. You know, maybe they decide to get that look. They're going to shoot every day at 4 p.m. They'll never shoot on an overcast day. And they're going to shoot in this location that they spent, you know, four weeks scouting to figure out the best places to shoot. So, you know, when I have clients come into the room and go, no, we want this look and we want that look. I'm always really quick to turn around and go, I can get you that general kind of feel, but we're not going to replicate that. And I think that's something that... Uh, people have to keep an eye out for it. And Dan, as a music video and commercial colorist, you probably hand, uh, handle this kind of situation all the time. Yeah, it happens quite a lot. Um, one thing I've noticed this year, I've, I've graded more actual film jobs this year than ever before. Uh, and they're the jobs I grade the least. It's always, you know, it comes on screen and everyone goes, that looks pretty good. Do you want to just tweak it a little bit? Uh, and it's the kind of little imperfections that happen on set. Like um, some of the best looking film I've ever seen, and this is something people probably don't even think about, is they actually underexpose the film by one stop and they push it in the lab. You can't replicate that with a lot, really, unless you want to underexpose everything and hope for the best. Um, and it's, yeah, it's that kind of stuff that people don't do, like with digital cameras, I think. They shoot everything absolutely perfectly white balanced. They shoot it right in the middle of the exposure for the best, you know, dynamic range. Or with film, you have to kind of commit to it. You go, it's going to look like this, so, you know. And so, Dan, I think that what what you're saying is you have to be a little... The DP's being a little more intentional with what he's yes. doing on set because yeah. he's not. he knows that he really wants to get it right the first time. Because uh, yeah, that's yeah, how he's exactly. been trained to do it, right? Yeah, where I think with digital DOPs, they tend to go very straight down the middle. Like uh, one of my friends, Stephen, uh, who hopefully will do a podcast with us soon, um, he goes between film and digital. And I find even when he shoots on red or film, I can't tell the difference because he just treats everything like film. So I guess it's, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, there's like a, a special skill. I he, love those he, he jobs. used to work on the West Wing and stuff like that. So he's been around for a long time. I love those jobs where, where they shoot digitally, but you know, it's an experienced film DP and he treats it like a film shoot, not like a digital shoot. And and you get back this footage that you just you don't really want to do a whole heck of a lot with it. Uh, Dan, do you do you run into this where a DP will come in and say, I need to emulate, for instance, the Kodak Vision 3 500T 7219 stock? 
Not really. They will tell me they want me to, but they won't say, please use this lot. They'll, they never really kind of... Because they know that lots do limit you, so they kind of say, well, I want it to feel like this. So what I would do is maybe load the lot up, have a look at some stills, and we'll get that right feeling, and then we'll build a grade to match that. Are they more likely um, to bring in reference footage for you to look at, or reference shots? Uh, reference stills, normally. Um, the one thing you have to remember, and if you if you guys have any lots, try this yourself... Um, I'm trying to think of a particular one. I don't want to slam any particular look because they all do it. But say you use one of the vision stock ones and you're shooting a red um, product. When you try and get that to be the perfect red, the LUT will actually make that hard. It'll distort the colors. It'll twist it around because that's what it's meant to do. Say, for example, it was teal and orange um, and you needed to make someone's tie be the correct orange. The teal and orange LUT is going to keep driving your grade into the wrong kind of orange and it can be a big, big pain. So I tend not to use LUTs in commercials. Um, but kind of use them as inspiration almost. Because I, I dug myself into a hole with that before, where there was like six ties on a table and they all looked wrong and I couldn't figure out why. And it was the lot that I used. Now, going back just a second to something to echo uh, what both of you were saying, is that I always find it interesting when people want to create the film look on footage that it wasn't even like, you know, not obviously film, but didn't even have some of the characteristics of film. And what I mean by that is like, I get a lot of people being like, here is my, you know, 2997 footage, or here's my 720p 60 footage or something like that. Can you make it look like film? And you're kind of like, well, no, I would have shot it at 24 frames per second. You know, it's a, it's some of those basics. That gets you like kind of back to what the original magic bullet was, right? The original magic bullet was taking interlaced footage and giving it the the ever mythical film look. And what did it did? It was a deinterlacer and a change uh, playback speed and probably add a little bit motion blur. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's stuff like that that I don't think people really realize. And then the only other thing I'll add when I'm, um, when I'm sort of uh, trying to emulate this kind of film look... Um, is I tend to try to play with some of the tools that a traditional color timer would have and not all the fancy tools that we have. Because one of the things that I find a lot of people doing when they're trying to emulate the quote-unquote film look is they're overgrading. They're using too many secondaries. They're using too many qualifications. They're doing this. They're doing too many LUTs and all that kind of stuff. Like, if you can get the, the shot in the ballpark and then use, like, printer point corrections to kind of do your balancing and your look and maybe you know do a couple little things with some grain or something like that that's a lot more convincing than 4,000 secondaries on an image to kind of try to push <laughs> yeah, it yeah. and I, I, I'm just adamant about this I think when it comes it's a combination of not overdoing it in post and what you do in the field in terms of lighting set design look that really help you emulate that and you know when it comes to Craig's uh, question I mean, I don't know, Craig. I guess I would say, like, keep trying your hand at it. But also, I'll leave you with this, that, you know, emulation is something that's good. Replication is just stealing somebody's art. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what I tend to do is try to get in that ballpark and then see what I can do to improve it and kind of tweak it to where I like it a little bit better and maybe my client likes it a little better and not just kind of, you know, wholesale take the other look. Yeah, and I, I often call that, I guess what I often call that is listening to your footage. And so you, you try to get it in the ballpark, but then your footage is going to tell you what is acceptable and what isn't usually. And, uh, and so then you start working around the parameters of the footage gives you so that you're kind of emulating the feel, but maybe not emulating the precise look so craig i hope this helps you've been a fantastic member asking us a lot of great questions so uh 
So please keep it up. And uh, for theoldmixinglight.com, I'm Robbie Carmen. I'm Dan Moran. I'm Patrick Inhofer. And we will see you in the next mailbag. <laughs>